Hello everyone, this is Yalda from Eat, Burn, Sleep, the online low inflammation gut health and sustained weight loss platform. If you follow me on my social media, you probably know that I love learning, discovering new things, meeting passionate individuals. So I have decided to launch this podcast where I interview amazing people. We're going to be talking about physical health, mental health, well-being, with people who are passionate about what they do and who strive for excellence. I hope you learn from it and you enjoy it. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Eat, Burn, Sleep podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Simon Seabag Montefiore, my dear friend Seabag, a famous British historian, novelist, author, and all-around fabulous person. Hi, Seabag. How are you? What an introduction. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. And we're going to talk about some books, I understand. We are. Good, good. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's going to be fun. So tell us about your book, Seabag. Well, I brought four books with me um, to talk to you about um, on your request. And they're all different. They're all slightly different. But the, the ones at the top of the, the pile are my novels, the Moscow Trilogy. And the first of the Moscow Trilogy is Sashenka. And then there's One Night in Winter. And there are three, obviously, there are three of them. And these are novels about love, um, about danger, about power, about family, um, about the different sorts of love in Russia. And they're set in Russia in the 20th century. And they start under the Tsar. And they go right forward through Stalin's terror and to the age, to, to, to today's age of oligarchs and um, autocrats. And so they're a sort of history of Russia, but through private life, through love affairs. And I think that for every writer, love is the most exciting thing to write about. And, you know, I really, these are my, the three books I'm most proud of. Um, and so... Uh, the Moscow Trilogy uh, is their name. Uh, and the one I've brought is Sashenka, which is the first one. Mm -hmm. I've read it, as well as One Night in Winter. And what really struck me was something, of course, which I knew about you, is your understanding of the Russian culture and, and your fascination with it. it. can really You can see through that, um, because it's, of course, all in the details. But what impressed me even more was your deep understanding of humans' emotions, in, and including women's emotions. <laughs> well, the books are all about women, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's the great thing about them, because my history books were always about power. And power is not always held by men, of course, but often it's held by men. Um, so I really wanted to write about women, about the different types of love. You know, the love that, that one has in marriage, the love for children, the love for, for, for one's secret lovers. And all are very different and all are in competition with each other. And every woman knows that and understands that. If you add in the fact that this is set in a time of maximum danger, when people were killed for having love affairs with the wrong people, people died from gossip, um, people were denounced for, for sins, often imaginary um, mistakes and, and um, supposed crimes of thought, not even of politics, then you add a jeopardy. That, um, that is really adds, adds a sense of constant peril. So if you were setting these love affairs in sort of London, um, 
they would be they would still be fascinating i hope but the, but they would, there wouldn't be this jeopardy mm-hmm. but in the, in, these, in these stories um the women who are my heroines and i loved writing about the women and these really are whip books about women for women and they're really about the heroism of women and all these stories sashenka and the other heroines um dashka and um serafima they're all based on real people and um and so you know these are sort of real stories but the, but but they're very they are very readable novels and so anyone you don't have to know anything about russia to read them you just have to be interested in love and human nature so what prompted you to write novels um being obviously such an incredible historian is it those people who inspired you yes when i was writing um my first my first history books were, were first of all i read about catherine the great mm-hmm. and um and and that's that's a book called catherine the great and potemkin yeah. and then i wrote um then i wrote a book about stalin about joseph stalin uh, stalin the court of the red tsar and young stalin so two biographies young of stalin. stalin is amazing and, and i'm sure sold well because he looked so handsome on that cover picture yes <laughs> yes in fact that cover photo of young stalin is a sort of cult uh, on um Or if you put on um, put up on Twitter, hot young Stalin, you get many people discussing. Well, he was hot uh, and, when um, he was young, and he's yes, and he's also a sort of gay pinup. Anyway, that's a whole other, that's a that. whole other story. But anyway, the point was that when I wrote those stories, obviously, um, I was like studying terrible, terrible crimes by Stalin, the mass murder, and the destruction of families, and and. Um, And, and of innocent people, of children, of, of women, of, and, and of men, of course, as well. So um, when I started those stories, I suddenly started to discover um, amazing, true stories about families. And I thought to myself, I really want to save these up and write them in fiction, in novels, in novels that you don't have to understand any history, you don't have to know anything about Stalin, but through this you can understand the essence of um, how life was lived then. And also celebrate love and freedom, which are also what we all want to all want to do and all want to read about. But you so, do that brilliantly in the trilogy because it feels like being in Russia then. Well, thank you. That's so fun. So, so anyway, I brought one of those with me for your listeners, if any of them wanted at some point. You're gonna. We bought four books, and you're going to do something with them later, aren't you? Exactly. I will. Yeah. I don't know what, but you'll decide. I will. <laughs> so the next book that's on the table is is a book that's actually on, on my bedside table, which I bought a, a few years ago, and then I got it out recently. And the beauty about this book is called Written in History, Letters That Changed the World. And what I love about this is, of course, you have curated all these extraordinary letters um, from completely different people throughout history. But what's amazing is what you've done, those little introductions, s- summarizing really well in which context they were written. And your little summaries beforehand are extraordinary teasers. And one can just read one letter and put the book away and then read a couple more letters. It's, it's an amazing format. Well, that's exactly what I was trying to do with this book, because... I wanted to have a book of people, again, who sort of don't read 800-page history books, but love, um, li- you know, love reading great writing and are interested in, in history and also want a book that they can just read in the bath, before bed, on an aeroplane, on the beach, without, and you can open it anywhere. 
and you can just read these letters. And what I wanted is to have some of the sort of some some predictably famous letters that everybody should know. But a lot of them are letters that I've found. Some of them are actually letters I found myself in the archives, and which so so that that's quite fun to have in there. Amazing. But also some of them are just classic letters that we all should know, and that are very very interesting and and reveal something fascinating about about life about history. And there's a real variety. I wanted all life to be there from all. Genders from all races, from all continents, from all times, and so you know, there's, there's, um, and there's, also the way you've classified it, yes, folly, decency, fate, different chapters, love, and what I was struck by is all these really powerful men, like Napoleon, after mm. winning a battle, the first thing he does is write to Josephine. All these powerful men, the first thing they did was many of them, after such incredible historical events, was to confide into the person they're intimate with. Yeah, I mean, this collection is so kind of, it's very aimed at women, actually, because, and most of the buyers of it have been women, because, um, because it's, it, you know, it's all about intimacy. Mm -hmm. The great thing about letters is that they're, they're authentic, they're intimate, they're, they're true of that moment of time. They have the spark of life, of immediacy. And that's, that's what's delightful right. about letters. And so, yes, for example, when Napoleon won the Battle of Austerlitz in 1805, you know, you've got to imagine the scene. You know, he's, he's sitting on a battlefield with the bodies of about 30,000 people around him, smoking on, a, on the battlefield. And he sits in the middle of this, probably with a door from some um, peasant's cottage used as his table, And he starts to write to the whole of Europe to say, I've won this greatest battle. And the amazing letter he writes to Empress Josephine, he says, I've won, the great, I've won this battle. I've beaten the, um, the emperors of Russia and Austria. And he says, yes. I'm feeling a little tired, he says. Yeah, he said, I'm yeah, feeling yeah. rather tired. Yeah. And what he wrote is, I, have, I haven't beaten Russia. I, have, I think he said, I have destroyed yeah, Russia. Yeah, he said, I've destroyed <laughs> Russia. So it was, it was probably the greatest victory of the century in Europe. But then there's a letter from... There are letters from Peter the Great on the, on the winning his battle. And he says to his, his wife, who's a fascinating character, um, who's called Catherine the First, he says to her, come and celebrate. Mm -hmm. So he actually summons her to the mm -hmm. battlefield That's party. Right. He and, said, come and join yeah, me yeah. at the end of and the letter. He is like, and Peter the Great is, of course, a sort of, he's like a sort of, it's like, well, he parties like Led Zeppelin on tour. <laughs> so it's completely crazy. You know, he has, he, um, people often died of alcohol poisoning during his parties, in wow. fact. And there were fights between, I mean, Crazy stuff happened. But that's another story. But in this book, you, all life is here. Basically, there's, 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 there's very sexy letters, there's very erotic letters from Anais Nin. Um, that, some know, from Marquis de Sade. From the Saint Marquis, some, yes. some disgusting ones from the Marquis de Sade. Yes. Um, they're very erotic ones. I mean, from um, Tsar Alexander II to his mistress. Um, but they're also the key letters from history. You know, the letter that exposed um, the gunpowder plot which really changed history. Um, the letter that the Kaiser gave to, to Austria, which really was the blank check that started World War I, the letters between Kennedy and Khrushchev during the Cuban mm -hmm. Missile Crisis, the, the letters that led to the duel with Hamilton. You know, you've seen yes. the musical Hamilton. Yes. So all of those, so there, are lots of, there are lots of really um, unexpected letters in here, but also there are letters of like eye-watering passion as well and tragedy. So one, one you, you, can open a you can open the letters that say, the letters of goodbye, and you find Leonard Cohen's mm. wonderful letter mm -hmm. he writes to Marianne. Mm -hmm. 
um, as she's dying. And um, that's interesting because I spoke to the person who arranged the letters and who was there and, um, and he corrected my, my account of it. And it's the most beautiful letter. It's sort of, it's the one where he says, See, you don't need to tell me how much I love you and how beautiful you are. You know that. But we're both coming to the end of, coming to the end now. And he just says, see you down the road. Wow. It's so touching. Wow. And your hair stands on end. When you yes. I, I don't have any hair, but if I did, it would be standing on end. <laughs> so let's talk about the Romanovs. Yes. I have witnessed you preparing for this book. And I want to tell something to the listeners. I have never met anybody as intense as you are when you write and when you prepare. I think you wrote the book in three months. Yeah, I wrote you, the you book. You prepared for a long time. I prepared for two years. And you wrote this huge book. How many pages are there? I don't know, 800 or something. <laughs> in three months. But this is for anyone. Anyone who's interested in Nicholas II and Alexandra, Catherine the Great, um, Peter the Great, you know, the czars, and how they fit in to Putin today. Yes. Because it ends with Putin. Yeah. And um, Putin is very interested in the Romanovs. So this book is like the real story, and it's got everything in it. I mean, it's got, you know, this, you have to understand the Romanov family, it's just like all of our families, but with a slight difference. In this family, um, you know, fathers have their son, kill their sons, sons have their fathers murdered, um, wives have their husbands murdered, um, there are there are menage a, there are lesbian menage a trois. There is everything in here, and this is how Russia was made, and how you've got to, to understand Putin today. You've got to understand the Tsars because he's very interested in that. So, and it ends, of course, with Nicholas and Alexander and the, yes. the massacre of the um, of the Tsar and their children yeah. in 1918. So, it was really it was a book I really wanted to write because it's such a compelling subject, and um, and of course. I found many things in the archive, fascinating things. So there's lots of stuff that you won't find in any other books. Yes, yeah, so Romanos. tell. So you covered 200 years of history. 314 I, years of history. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, get it, get it right. Yeah, and way. so tell us about how you had access to the archives when others didn't, and how you managed to do that. Well, the Russian archives are very weird, and I mean they're very secretive. They're very political, but. Um, Actually, it was the Stalin archives that were very difficult to get into because they're very political. And so you had to have the favor of the presidency. They had to have the favor of the Kremlin. With the Romanovs, um, they were, you know, they're, they're less interested in the Romanov archives, so you can use them. But, you know, I was very lucky to find amazing new stuff. I mean, one of the things I found, which I mentioned earlier, was these letters from Alexander II. Yes. He was, he's very interesting now. Because he's the Tsar that liberated the serfs of Russia. And the serfs were basically slaves. Yeah. The serfdom was yeah. slavery. And except that they were the same race yes. as their masters, yes. but they were the peasants. And he liberated them um, in 1861, just at the same time that America was beginning the, you know, the, the American Civil War, mm. um, which culminated in the, in, the libera- in the emancipation of American slaves. So it's a very interesting, he's a very interesting character and a very... And actually, he was a big supporter of Lincoln, President Lincoln, and they corresponded, oh, interestingly. At the same time, um, it's very interesting because Britain and France were actually leaning towards the Confederacy, while the sort of proto-democracies were supporting the, confe- the pro-slavery Confederacy, while um, 
the Tsar, the autocrat of Russia, was supporting the Union and Lincoln. It's a very interesting thing. I had thing. no idea. Yeah, it was a very interesting moment. Anyway, the point is that he's a fascinating character. He's the most attractive, along with Catherine the Great, of the Romanovs. They're a monstrous family, generally. But, um, but uh, as you might have guessed from my description of the, fa- <laughs> the familial relationships within the yes. family. But, um, but uh, yeah, so, so um, he had an amazing love affair with his mistress, Katya, and Dolgorukaya. And their letters were kept secret, and no one saw them. And they were only just open, so they are in the book. And I think you'll see when you read them that they are the most erotic letters ever written by a head of state um, in all of history, from Roman times to today. And there was a lot of humour between them. There was a lot of humour. Yeah. Um, they were both hypersexual. Yeah. And they, they, and they actually did stuff that I didn't think had been invented until the 1970s. Like what? <laughs> well, you've got to read the book, because I don't know your listeners. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't want to sort of presume to say. But I'm giving the book, and you're going to, you're going to offer yeah, it to your readers. Yeah, she was a laundress, and yeah. um, they had so much humor. I've, I've read some of the letters. It's yeah. quite amazing. Yeah, so they had a, they're, they're amazing letters. The one, there's one chapter in there which has all of those in them. Um, they're pretty outrageous. Um, so, so that's the Romanovs. And there is one more book I would like us to talk about, which you brought here, um, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Well, this is a book I always wanted to write. I always wanted to write a book that was um, as, as neutral and balanced as you could possibly be writing about Jerusalem. I didn't want to write a book from the Jewish point of view. I didn't want to write a book from the Christian point of view. I didn't want to write a book from the Palestinian point of view. I think this is the, this is probably the only sort of completely balanced history that it starts from the beginning of time from the Canaanites when Jerusalem was just um, a fortress on a hill with a with a spring and a temple, a small sort of shrine, and it goes right the way forward to today to Obama and and Trump and mm-hmm. Biden, and so it's sort of it's about five thousand years of intense history. It's, um, and as I said, you know, it's, if you want to understand the Middle East, not from a biased point of view, but to understand why the Palestinians and the, and the Israelis both have claims on this small strip of land and why the world is so interested and who's had it and who's ruled it throughout history. You have the Babylonians and the Ottomans and yep. the British and the Germans are even there and the French Crusaders and um, you know, you have the Assyrians and so on. You have, you know, you have many, many people, Alexander the Great, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, Egypt. So many different peoples have had Jerusalem, empires have had Jerusalem. And then, and then it culminates in the story of the Balfour Declaration, Zionism, the birth of Palestinian, the birth of Palestinian nation and the fight for the Middle East. And the, 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 it's really a history, the, the creation of the Middle East. And so it's, um, it's, it, was, it was really the most difficult book I ever wrote for this reason, because, you know, I didn't really want, I didn't want to please either side. Yeah. And there was a great governor of Jerusalem, and the first British governor of Jerusalem was called Sir Ronald Storrs. And after he'd been governor in 1917 for about two years, he went to the British prime minister and he said, Lloyd George, and he said, you know, I think I'm going to have to resign. And Lloyd George said, why? And he said, well, because the Jews hate me, the Arabs hate me, the Christians hate me, everyone hates me. 
And Lloyd George said, well, as long as any of them cease hating you, you'll be fired. But while they all hate you, you're doing something right. And this is my philosophy in this book. So, you know, there's nothing hidden in this book. This book is about, um, it reveals the atrocities of everybody. Yeah. And believe me, there are atrocities. Everyone's behaved appallingly yeah. um, since the beginning of time in Jerusalem. So it's a story of um, fascinating women, um, powerful emperors, uh, religious fanaticism, wonderful tolerance, exquisite buildings, beautiful prayers. I think that would um, be an amazing book for, for my listeners to read uh, because I often talk about, and this is, you know, it's the same thing with whatever you look at. So when it comes to health, I put in question everything all the time, everything that I think. Trying to form an unbiased opinion is probably the hardest thing you can do. That's right. Um, and I take a sort of what I call a holistic, organic approach, which is, um, which is I follow families through um, Jerusalem's history. And in modern times, I follow the, the, big, the big Jewish families, but I also follow the big Palestinian families, yeah. which there are about five famous Palestinian families of notables, um, and I follow them. So, but it starts off, you follow the Herods, and the Maccabees, yes. um, the rulers of Babylon and Assyria, the Ottomans, and so on. And then you go up to the Rothschilds, and then you go up to all these um, great Palestinian families, and right up to the present. So I try and follow it in a sort of holistic, organic way, because... I don't want a history. I think too many histories of cities are all boring. They're sort of, you know, they're about this pillar and this archway. Yes. And I'm interested in the people and I'm interested in the living of the city. So I want the music. I want the love. I want the, I want the food as well as the politics. And that's all about families. So this is a history of Jerusalem. That's why it's called Jerusalem, the biography. It's, it's Jerusalem, the biography. And it's a living, a living place and through living people. And, I think much of what's happening today is explained yes. in that book. Yeah. So those are the four books, and I hope your readers might enjoy them. And let me know on, you know, on wherever the you know wherever they are, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, if they read any of them. I love to hear. Well, you you listeners should let Seabag know directly <laughs> via okay. Twitter or Instagram. But I will certainly do that. Um, yes, these days, I mean, the world's gone into extremes more than ever, onto so many things where people are prone being kind and tolerant and yet have become so intolerant. That's right. And I have noticed that myself on social media where, you know, I've been pressured, for example, to express political opinions when I said, you know, my account is purely about health. I don't want to get involved. And in fact, if I had the solution to this problem, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be there fixing it. <laughs> by the way, by the way, I love some of your I love some of your dishes. By the way, so I'm a great fan of your food, which is a we'll discuss that another time. <laughs> What's another, your favorite? Ah, uh, I think I think there's an there's a there's a pudding. There's an apple pie, an apple oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. crumble. I, yeah. Yes, yes, the apple, apple crumble. crumble. Yes, yeah. yes, and my favorite is the it's apple crumble. It's dairy free and grain free. It's and you everything. Love it. It's delicious. It's amazing. So, um, so I'm also a great fan of your work. So I really recommend that to anyone who's listening to this. That is one you've got to try. <laughs> try the apple crumble. Um, so Seabag, people can find you on Twitter, Simon Seabag Montefiore. Is that your yeah, handle? Yeah, I think it is. I can't quite remember, but they can find me easily yeah. everywhere. Yes. And um, I'm always happy to discuss books and everything else. 
But you're right, I think they should start with the Moscow trilogy, Sashenka uh, and One yes. Night That's a good idea. And also, the written in history is all the letters um, that changed the world. That's an amazing gift. That's a great gift idea. Because we... It's a great know, Christmas gift or, pr- or birthday or present any t- or something. Or any yeah. time gift, because we spend so much time on our screens. I read every night before going to bed. It's part of my sanity to read a book in paper. I agree. It's very calming. Very. It brings, it supports your parasympathetic nervous system. Okay, that's good <laughs> Which to know. is in charge of rest, digest, reproduce, when actually the light that comes out of the phone um, triggers your brain in a way where it raises your cortisol levels. It tells your brain that you're still awake, that it's daytime. Right. So it's so important. And actually on, on the platform, I set a bedtime routine to for people, and one of the things that I suggest is to read a real book in paper, written in paper, no Kindle, on paper. That's great advice, actually, because I'm the same. Because when I'm writing a book, uh, I get so stressed out, I can literally can barely kind of I can barely sleep, and so I always read fiction, not history, not facts. Yes, but I, so I think fiction is very calming, very calming, um, and much more calming. Oddly. Um, thick, fiction is much more common than facts. Facts are very stressful. That's such a good point. And I so, think, so I think, yeah, read, 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 reading fiction. Read fiction. Important. Read novels in paper. Absolutely. I, because of, of course, I always read books about health, mm. but they wire me. They, yeah, they, that's work. Because that's work. Yeah. So those that relax me exactly are novels mm. or Perfect. history books like yours, because they take me out of my health bubble. So it's yeah. something else. Anything that takes you out of your life, I think is yes. very therapeutic and very good for the soul. Exactly. And we should celebrate that. So everyone, go and order some books on Amazon. Get those books with you to the beach, at home, in the tube. You know, today I was in, um, in public transport in the tube in London. And I was carrying uh, your book here, Written in History. And... As I was reading it, I looked around me and I thought, that's so sad. Everyone's on their phones yes. playing games when before people would... You, do you remember there were newspapers in the yes. tube that people would share, but now with Corona, you can't do it anymore. No. No. Uh, and so I thought to myself, I must always carry real paper with me for public transport. I think it's a good idea. I always have a book in my pocket. <laughs> Essential to life. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed talking to you as always. I hope, um, I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed as well. You can go and check out Seabag's books online, Simon, Seabag, Montefiore. There are quite a few of them. And thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Thank you to all of you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to go on eatburnsleep.com to learn more about gut health and chronic inflammation. I would really appreciate if you could rate this podcast and of course feel free to share it with anyone who might enjoy it. Have a beautiful day.